0: Welcome. Thank you for joining us today at First Baptist Arlington. We are so glad that you're a part of our worship experience today here at our church. I'm Dennis Wiles. I'm the pastor here, and I am honored to be a part of your life today. So again, welcome to worship, and God bless you. Well, good morning, First Baptist. It's good to be with you today. Honored that uh, Dr. Wiles would invite me to give a message this morning. Uh, So, honored to be here. Uh, Thank you, Kurt, for the introduction. I said in the first service uh, that uh, Kurt Grice, I I share a lot in common. Uh, We share a similar stature. We have the same haircut. Uh, And so, Kurt, you're who I want to be when I grow up one day. Uh, But I love Kurt Grice's energy and optimism. Uh, Normally, my family sits in the balcony, but today they're down in front. My wife, Teresa, my son, Josh, my son, Ben, uh, Josh will start his second year at Rice University of Houston. Ben will be a junior at the STEM Academy uh, at, at uh, Martin High School this year. Uh, but we, uh, we normally sit in the balcony, the front left section. We sit right in front of uh, Linda and Tom Templin. And many of you on the floor may not be aware of this, but there are people in the balcony. Every week, they're up there. And if you're a back row Baptist, that's not a ceiling above you, that's the balcony. And they're, they're good people, they're, you're loved by God, you're made in His image. Uh, and so this morning, welcome to everybody who's here, welcome to people who are watching online, but especially my friends in the balcony. We see you, we love you, we know you. Uh, <clears throat> for the last 18 years, my family has been privileged and honored to be part of this church. We love First Baptist, you've been a good home for us, a good home for my kids, and um, it's been an honor to serve as a deacon here. We teach a young adult class, so if the, any of the 20-somethings happen to be here, grad and career class, I'll give you all a, I said I would give them a shout-out. I don't know if they'll shout back at me. Uh, some of my college students, they did shout. There they are. Some of my college students are here, but also before we get started, I want to say a special thank you from Texas Baptist. For the last 21 years, I've worked as a missionary of Texas Baptist churches, Sharing the gospel with the next generation. It's trying to make disciples of the next generation. And our church has a 100 plus year partnership with other Texas Baptist churches to do mission work in our state. And we do a tremendous amount of good by working with other churches. And one of those good things is you're part of an effort that has Christian witness, gospel witness on over 100 college campuses. I've been privileged to lead our Texas Baptist effort at University of Texas Arlington for the last 18 years, and I wish this morning that I could spend my time telling you stories about students meeting Jesus every week for years, um, but we don't have time for that, but pull me aside, I'd love to tell you. Uh, the message Dr. Wiles asked me to share this morning is this, that God never changes. God never changes. And what it means for us that God never changes is we can trust him. Because God never changes, we can trust him. So our text this morning will come out of Psalm 102. Psalm 102 starting in verse 25. And it says this. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. In the summer of 2015, my friend and our church's former missions minister, Jeremiah Smith, Uh, we traveled together to Asia because our church had four different uh, cross-cultural worker units, families or singles who were living in different cities in Asia. And Jeremiah invited me to go with him on a trip to visit these cross-cultural workers just to encourage them. I had a connection to several of them because they had been in our uh, young adult, my young adult class that I teach or they had been my students at UTA. And so Jeremiah and I traveled, I think, we did, I think we did something like 10 flights in 12 days. It was a whirlwind of a trip. But one of the cities we visited was in northern Japan, the city of Sendai. And at that time, our church had a family that was sent there, uh, the Tauris, Michael and you, and they were doing great ministry in this city. And we went to encourage them. And it was my first time to Japan. Now, something you need to know about me is I grew up on a cotton farm in West Texas, Where in West Texas, you ask? Well, about halfway between Lubbock and Midland. What's halfway between Lubbock and Midland? Nothing, that's where I grew up. And so Japan was a very different experience. Shiny, glass and steel, bustling, exciting. Uh, And so it was a lot of things that I had never beheld or, or seen before. But one thing in particular stood out from that trip, and that was our very first evening. Jeremiah and I settled in to a hotel room, and we had just turned in for the night, gotten in bed, turned out the lights, and we started to hear this faint sound that sounded like a train, like a freight train far off in the distance, kind of a deep, low rumble. You know the sound? But it got a little louder, and then it got a little louder, and then the deep rumble was vibrating our hotel room. And then the vibrating started to be a bit of a bounce and we said, is this what we think it is? Turned on the light, we assessed and said, yep, this is an earthquake. And by that point, the hotel was now kind of in a full on bounce, up and down. And we said, I don't know if we need to evacuate. I don't know if we need to get out of here. So we went into the hallway and there were other guests of the hotel who were Japanese uh, people. And they kind of looked back and forth. And at this point, the hotel was not just up and down. It was a bit of side to side too, enough so that you kind of had to stabilize yourself to not fall. It was, the ground was moving, y'all. And the Japanese people looked at each other kind of back and forth, and they shrugged their shoulders, and they went back to bed. (laughs) The next morning, we look, and it's a 6.8 magnitude earthquake, not too far away. And here's my takeaway from that experience. The ground is not supposed to shake. Where I grew up, the ground did not shake. The ground was the stable thing that you could put your feet on and just know that it wasn't going anywhere. And it was a bit unnerving for this stable, secure thing that should have not moved or changed to move underneath our feet. So this morning, I want you to think about the most stable, secure thing in your life. The thing that you say, this is, this is the thing I know I can count on. The most stable, secure thing in your life, and here's the thing, church, it will change. Unless that thing is the Lord, our God, it will change. Uh, last night, I asked on Facebook, I said, what's something that has changed for you in the last year, good or bad? What's something that's changed and a lot of you answered that question and some of you are very vulnerable and open So thank you for that. But a few things that you all said had changed in the last year Babies there were a lot of babies in the last year Babies born grandbabies adopted babies a lot of babies My friend JD Evers who many of you know former member of our church said he had his first full year cancer-free It's a good change Um, some people retired, some people got new jobs, some people lost jobs, some people lost people they cared about, lost spouses, lost parents, siblings, friends, things change. Uh, we're in Texas, the weather changes, right? What's the saying? If you don't like the weather in Texas, wait, wait an hour, it'll change. Arlington changes. Some of y'all lived here a long time, and you will tell stories of when Pioneer was the southern boundary of Arlington, and it was just pastures and empty fields south of Pioneer, and now that's the middle of town. Arlington changes in front of our eyes. Bodies change. I used to have hair. Hair Hairlines change, for good or for bad. And uh, you make New Year's resolutions? I don't know if you make new year's resolutions i try sometimes and here's the thing i can't even count on myself because i make a commitment and my commitment changes and all of this change and all of this uncertainty in the world around us it drives us to seek stability the problem is church that we're sinners and we always seek stability in things that change we always want to cling to unstable things. Sometimes we think, if I can make enough money, then I'll be secure. But bank accounts change. If I can latch on to this person and have this person in my life, then I'll be safe and secure. But people change. Possessions change. They all, in the end, will disappoint. But God won't. So let's look again at our text, Psalm 102, and let's see what the psalmist has to say, and what you need to know about the lead up to our text today is the psalmist has been describing the fleetingness of human life. He's been describing how short human life is, how our life is almost like a vapor, like it says all throughout scripture, the fleetingness of, the, of human life, and then he's gonna contrast it with God's unchanging nature. Psalm 102.25 says, in the beginning, You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So right off the bat, he points us to the first verse on the first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, God laid the foundations of the heavens, uh, of the earth. The heavens are the work of his hand. And he's been talking about how short human life is. And then he says, but consider the earth the ground underneath our feet, the heavens that seemingly never change. And he says, compared to a human life, they seem long lasting, they seem secure, right? But verse 26, he says, they will perish. They will perish, but you remain. I love what the psalmist does here. He goes from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible, He goes from God created the heavens and the earth, but Revelation 21.1 at the very end, John says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth perished. They passed away. Psalmist goes on, he said, they will all wear out like a garment, like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. You know, the earth seems so permanent. It seems so unchanging. The ground underneath our feet rarely shakes. But did you know the earth is constantly changing? Mount Everest. It's kind of the biggest rock on our planet, right? Tallest mountain. Do You know how tall Mount Everest is? Anybody remember that? 29,032 feet. We're so proud of our Colorado peaks and Mount Everest is double the height. It's a big mountain. But Mount Everest changes. Did you know Mount Everest grows about an inch a year? It grows about two centimeters a year, every year. But in 2015, there was an earthquake and it shrank. But now it's growing again about an inch a year. Even Mount Everest changes. Um, the, uh, I'll tell you an embarrassing story, if that's okay. Uh, I run for exercise, try to keep up with... Uh, college students that I minister to. That's not the embarrassing part, the running. Some of you are like, that is, that's a problem. Um, I run for exercise and and just a couple days ago, my sweet wife Teresa looked at me and she said, hey, there's something I need to tell you. So I braced myself because I knew it was probably going to be news that I didn't like. Something I need to tell you. I'm throwing away your running shorts. And what she meant was my favorite running shorts that I've I've had since I started running about eight years ago. And she said she's gonna throw them away. And I know that they were probably getting a little bit worn out. And maybe they're even threadbare. I've had these shorts for eight years. I've probably worn them every week for eight years. And so I said, they're probably fine, right? And she holds them up. And they're not just worn out. They're indecent. (laughs) They're not something that should be worn in public. Created things will let us down. Created things will disappoint us. Verse 27, he says, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Um, I turned 47 years old last week. For some of you, that is so old. And for some of you, it's not that old. And one thing I've realized after 47 years, every year... I get a year older. Doesn't matter what happens that year, I get a year older. Some years I think I get three or four years older, but every year I add a year. But with God, a thousand years ago he was no younger than he is today. And a thousand years from now he'll be no older than he is today because our God is eternal and our God is unchanging. His years will never end. Literally everything in creation will change and wear out but not the creator. And he finishes the children of your servants. His children's children will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. The big idea this morning, church, is that because God never changes, we can trust him. And he never changes and we can. The theologians call this idea the immutability of God. The immutability of God, and it uh, to mutate means to change. and God not only doesn't change, he's incapable of changing because He's eternal, it's just part of His nature. He's unchanging. It means that God is dependable. He's not wishy-washy. He doesn't, he doesn't have a good day and a bad day. He's dependable. It means that God's trustworthy. He's consistent. The Bible calls, calls God a rock. It says that he's our fortress. We can lean on him. In a world of change, in a world of brokenness, a relationship with the true, unchanging, eternal God is our anchor and it's our hope in an unstable world. Uh, Here's a small example. Every day, at the end of the day, I start to get sleepy. Any amens? I won't mention any names, but some of y'all right now. You look a little sleepy, (laughs) and sleepiness is a reminder. Sleepiness is a reminder that our energy runs out. Sleepiness is a reminder reminder that our energy depletes. But in Psalm one twenty one four, it says, "He who watches over Israel, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber, nor does he sleep. He never depletes of energy." You see, there has never been a time that God wasn't good, and there will never be a time that God isn't good. There's never been a time that God wasn't faithful, and there will never be a time that God isn't faithful. There's never been a time that God wasn't merciful and there will never be a time that God isn't merciful. There's never been a time that he wasn't loving and there will never be a time that he isn't loving. God has always been full of righteousness and justice and concern for evil and concern for the oppressed and he always will. God has always grieved with those who grieve, he's always mourned with those who mourn, he's always rejoiced with those who rejoice and he always will. And we can trust God because he never changes. So this morning, I wanna get practical. Three applications. God never changes, so we can trust him. And that means three things for us. One, we can trust God in our stress. We can trust God in our stress. Anxiety is real, y'all. There really are real burdens in this life. And some of you this morning are carrying heavy burdens. Some may be lighter, but some of you are weighted down. What is yours? What stress, what anxiety are you carrying? Is it a to-do list that is too long? Is it bills that you're not sure how they're gonna get paid? Is it health, yours or somebody you care about that's causing you stress? Is it a loved one who isn't doing well? I started back to school about three years ago, and right now I'm trying to write a dissertation. And it seems like it doesn't matter how many pages I write, there are still pages to write. That's That's one of my sources of stress. And stress is real. Um, some people ask me what it's like ministering to college students. And I love it. Given the last two decades of my life to it, it's a joy. And a good 50% of ministering to college students is doing Jesus' great commission to make disciples, share the gospel, lead people to Christ, grow them up as mature Christians. We, that's, that's, that's a good half the job. The other half the job is what I might call romantic relationship counseling with college students. Because here's the thing, you get two or 300 young single people together and stuff starts to happen. And so there are people who get together and there are people who break up. And then there are people who get together and then there are people who break up. And our, our little staff team, we, we joke that it's, uh, it's one of the fun ways that, we, that our job gets to stay interesting is getting to see people navigate through that. But God's love is not like a fickle romance. It is consistent, it never breaks, it never stops, it never fails, it never ends. How do you cope with stress? Do you have a certain thing that you do when you feel tense and this is how you relieve stress? Some people may go on a walk, some people may go see friends, maybe you read a book, maybe you watch a TV show. We all have ways that we cope with stress. What's yours? I have had bad ways to cope with stress. There's one point in my life where I would go to the pantry instead of prayer to cope with stress and I use food um, as a way of coping. Maybe use social media. And it can be an outlet for some people for their anger or it can be an escape to turn to social media. Some people engage in or even obsess over their entertainment or sports. Some people use substances. Some crave experiences. Do you ever do something to relax that actually causes you more stress? You know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna go do this to relax and then all of a sudden you're, maybe say you watch a Dallas Cowboys football game to relax. And at the end of the game, why did I watch that? I tell myself a few times a week, I'm just gonna scroll Twitter at the end of the day to calm down. Never calms you down. It's stressful. Um, Why is prayer sometimes the last thing we try when we're carrying a heavy burden? Why is turning to the unchanging God sometimes our last, not our first resort? People have asked me, you've been working with students for 20 years, how have they changed? When I started working with students, I had the very, very youngest generation Xers. It's my generation, and I've had a lot, I've had all the millennials, the the old ones, the medium, the young ones, and now we have what they call Generation Z, the iGen generation. Well, how are these new ones different than the old ones? And one thing I say is they're awesome. They're responsible, they've got great vision, they're, they're hardworking, there's so many good traits, but they're stressed out. They carry around a ton of anxiety, more than I've ever seen. And I find myself over and over having the same conversation with a student who says, I'm just so worried about this test or my money or my family or whatever. And I have the same conversation over and over. And so here's, and I want to have it with you this morning. And it goes something like this. Have you ever had a day in your life when you didn't have enough food to eat, clothes on your back and a roof over your head? And inevitably they say, no, every day I've had enough. Enough. And I say, so every day God's given you good gifts. Like it says in the book of James, every good gift comes from the Father father above and it says that he doesn't change like shifting shadows. Every day of your life, God has provided a roof over your head, clothes on your back and food to eat. Guess what he's going to do tomorrow? He's going to do the same. And guess what he'll do for you the day after that? Because he loves you. And God takes care of you and he doesn't intend to change. You know, in Jesus' day, basic survival was difficult. It was harder to come by food, clothing, and shelter. Life was a struggle. But remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he said, So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thought of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. So seek his kingdom above all else and live righteously. He'll give you what you need. Now, what I'm not saying is if you just say a prayer, all your problems go away. That's a lie. But what I am saying is that God wants to provide for your needs. Now, maybe, maybe you're stressed out and you need, the, you need people around you to help carry your burden, and God's provided people to help carry your burden, or a church to help carry your burden. Maybe, maybe you need counseling and God's gonna provide that need for you. That doesn't mean you don't trust God, it means you do. But God cares about your needs, and he wants you to trust him. So we can trust God in our stress. Number two, because God never changes, we can trust him in suffering. Because God never changes, we can trust him in suffering. Now, Suffering comes from a lot of different places. There is financial suffering, not knowing how we'll make ends meet. There's relational suffering, broken friendships, even broken marriages. There's emotional suffering. Mental health is a real issue. There's physical sufferings. Our bodies get sick. There's spiritual suffering. We have doubts. James, chapter one, been teaching this with my college students this summer. James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and sufferings of different kinds. And here's the thing, when I read James, say consider it joy when you face sufferings, I say, James, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense at all. It can even sound trite, right? Like if you're suffering, the last thing you want somebody to do is to quote James in your face, consider it joy. But how do we typically view hardship? How do we typically view suffering? We view it as a curse. And here's the thing, church, is if life ends after 80 somewhat years, and that's the end, and there's nothing beyond life, then suffering in this life is a curse, if there's nothing beyond this life. But if in Christ there's life after death for eternity, and after 80 years this life doesn't end, it changes how we view suffering. With my college students this summer, we started talking about a 10,000 year perspective. How will what you're going through right now, how will you see it differently if you look at it from 10,000 years in the future? And you look back from that side of death and you look back on your earthly life and you see the struggle that you were so mired in and so um, consumed by, how will it change? And this doesn't minimize how excruciatingly difficult suffering is, but in eternity when we look back on our struggles and we see... That struggle broke me, but it drove me in desperate need to God. In eternity, we'll look on our struggles that sent us on our knees in prayer as a blessing, not a curse. Because in eternity, the sufferings will be gone, but the faith we gained in our Creator through them will remain, the 10,000 year perspective. James never says we rejoice because of suffering. He says we rejoice in suffering. Why? Because in 10,000 years, God will still be faithful. Jesus gives us another reason we rejoice in suffering. You remember in the Beatitudes in Matthew? He said, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they'll be comforted. Do you know who the comforter is? It's the Spirit of God. Because there's something about when we go through the valley that we're open and God's available to meet us in a way that he isn't when life is roses. And when we go through the valley, we're able to encounter God in a way that's different than if we just feel like everything's going our way. When Christians face struggles exactly like non-Christians, we disbelieve the gospel, we disbelieve in eternity. So let's press in, in our struggling, in our suffering, to the truth of eternity. Um, I enjoy the movie, Forrest Gump. You like Forrest Gump? He's an ordinary guy, but providence puts him in all of these great historical situations. He gets to have all these adventures and experience all these things. But he, uh, uh, one of the subplots in that movie is his relationship with his childhood friend, Jenny. Jenny. And you may remember Jenny's life was not stable and secure. It was a bit tumultuous. Jenny looked in all the wrong places for love and security. She made a lot of mistakes. But Forrest was the opposite. He was kind, he was steady. He took care of her during her struggles, and he took care of her at the end. It's kind of a parable, right? We make a mess of ourselves sometimes, and God's there in our struggles. He's there. It reminds me of the story of Hosea and Gomer in the Old Testament. God calls him to be faithful even when she wasn't. And God's always faithful even when we're not. God never grows tired of being faithful to us. Charles Spurgeon was a great English Baptist preacher a century and a half ago. And you may or may not know this about Spurgeon, but he struggled deeply with mental and physical health issues. He probably wrestled with deep depression. He had a number of physical ailments. He died fairly young. And here's what Spurgeon said. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Church, we can trust God in suffering. And number three, because God never changes, we can trust him with our souls. Because God never changes, we can trust him with our salvation. Because our unchanging God is Jesus Christ. Our unchanging God is Jesus Christ. So what I wanna do this morning for the next minute is to share the gospel with us. Sometimes I fear that in churches today, Instead of preaching the gospel to ourselves, to one another, instead of preaching the gospel over and over and over, we just assume that everybody knows that it's true. And if we assume the gospel instead of proclaiming the gospel, eventually the next generation denies the gospel. So here's, well, let's reiterate the very heart core truth of how we know the unchanging God. See, the story starts out with us being hopelessly lost and sentenced to a Christless eternity. But God looks down on us from heaven, and he said he does not want his people to be trapped in darkness forever. So God Almighty decides he will leave the comforts of heaven, and he comes to earth as the man Jesus, and he lives on this earth the perfect life that none of us, you or I, could have never hoped to live. And though he didn't deserve to die, he lets himself be crucified on that cross as a substitute for our sin and our brokenness. He takes our place. But death couldn't hold him. And after three days, he rises from dead, proving that he had conquered death, proving that he had conquered Satan, proving that he had conquered sin. And here's what Jesus said. He says, if anybody would receive me by faith... I'll give you the gift of eternal life. Jesus said, if anybody would look to me and say, I can't do it, I can't earn my salvation on my own, I can't can't do enough good works to earn salvation, my only hope is you, Jesus, and I wanna bow my knee and accept you and follow you and trust you. Jesus says, whoever would trust in him, he will give eternal life. You can trust Jesus with your soul have an observation doing ministry at UT Arlington, we get to share Christ, share the story with people from a lot of different cultures and a lot of different worldviews. So we share Christ with people from a Hindu background, a Muslim background, a Buddhist background, sometimes uh, atheists, sometimes um, Christian cults. And one thing that almost all of those viewpoints have in common is this idea that I do good works and God or karma or whatever looks down on my good works And if I've done enough of them, God or fate or karma smiles and lets me into heaven. It's what I do that earns my salvation. But our gospel church is the only system where it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done for us. And I think it's possible to live a long time, grow up in church. We meet so many college students who came through a great youth ministry and they still think being a Christian is a matter of what they do. Come to church, give a tithe, but our only hope is to surrender and say, I have no hope except in what Jesus has done for me. It's about what he's done. You can be churched and not saved, and that may describe some of you in this room, and if it is, you can surrender your heart to Christ today. In your seat, you can just say, Jesus, I've, Trust it in me, not in you. Save me. King David, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. But he made some mistakes. In fact, his worst episode, he commits adultery and murder in the same chapter. And he, when confronted with his sin, he could have justified it, he could have used his power to cover it up, but he doesn't. He throws himself at the feet of God and cries out for mercy. Psalm 51, one says, have mercy on me, O God. According to, you remember what it says? According to your unfailing love. God's love never fails, it never changes. The same grace of God that forgave David's sin can forgive our sin and will forgive your sin. He forgave David, he'll forgive you because he's the same God had a friend last week who sent me a video clip from the TV show America's Got Talent. Do you know that show? It's a talent contest. They have celebrity judges, people perform, and they, every week they eliminate certain people and send others on to the next round. And, uh, and this clip was from about three weeks ago, uh, mid-June, I think, and this contestant named Jane, Jane Marteski took the stage. Anybody see this one? Jane Marchesky. She's a very beautiful, slender, short-haired young woman, beaming with a smile. Um, and she said she's going to perform an original song called It's Okay. And so one of the, uh, but she also said, but when I sing, I don't go by Jane, I go by the title Nightbird, because I like the picture of a bird singing a beautiful song in the darkness, Nightbird. And she, uh, one of the judges, Howie Mandel said, well, what's the inspiration for your song? And so Jane started telling, she said, it's a story of my last year. You see, three years ago, I had cancer, and I had surgeries, and I had chemo, and we thought we beat cancer, and a year ago, it came back, and Jane's metastasized cancer is spread all throughout her body. She's going through chemo. She has a 2% chance of survival, but she beams with joy, and she said, 2% is not 0%. And I don't want my struggles to define me. And uh, I'll give you a spoiler alert. If you don't want to hear how it ends, you can put your fingers in your ears. She sings this beautiful song, beautiful voice. She has this powerful story. And one of the judges, the notoriously harsh Simon Cowell, gives her the golden buzzer, which means she can basically skip the line and go go to the last rounds of the competition. But there's more to Jane's story that they didn't tell on America's Got Talent. You see, Jane has grown up as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. She served before cancer as a worship leader at her church. She uh, attended Liberty University to study music, and she talks freely on her blog about how her faith in God's, how her confidence in God's faithfulness helps get her through cancer. And so here's a quote from Jane's blog. She said, God is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness, he adds light. He doesn't spare me thirst, he brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness, he comes near. So, why do we believe that when we are in pain, it means that God is far? Church, because God never changes, we can trust him. You can trust him with stress, you can trust him even in suffering. You can trust him with your eternal soul. He keeps his promises and he cares for you. We're going to pray and then we're going to have a song to close, a song to respond. And if you have a response you want to make this morning, if you want to come forward for prayer, if you want to come forward to join this church or to be baptized, you can do that. If you've never received Christ as your king and your savior, you can come forward and we'll lead you in how to do that or you can do that right where you're seated during this song, cry out to Jesus. So let's pray and then we'll respond. God, we thank you that who you are now is who you've always been, that you're unchanging. We thank you that just like you loved your saints in the past, you love us today. And because you love us today, we can count on the fact that you'll love us forever. Thank you for the gospel that through Jesus you've given us hope for eternity. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that in our suffering you comfort. Thank you, God, that you're our rock and you're our fortress. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. As I said at the beginning, we want to stay connected to you, but if we can help you in any way, we are happy to do our best to do just that. You can always find us on the web at www.fbca.org. But if you would like to call us and share a need with us, so you can always call us at 817-277-6353. Again, God bless you. Thank you for being a part of our church today. And we hope to see you soon one of these days.